Thank you for listening to the Grace Hill Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. So uh, today is week one of You Matter, and uh, I love when this happens. have been planning something, planning something, planning something for really about eight, nine weeks now to do this series, and then uh, just kind of the, the worlds collide, and it just gives you the best stuff to use as a message illustration that you never really planned on doing. How, how many Cubs fans do we have in the building today? Okay, let, let's do this. How many new Cubs fans do we have? Like as of this week, do we have in the building today? Cardinal fans, I'm sorry, it just wasn't your year. Just park it. You'll be back on the scene soon. It's okay. They've got another 108 years to wait. It's totally cool. They got their one shot. I grew up an Atlanta fan, okay? So we, we, we had plenty of dark days ourselves, but again, you know, greatness always rises. It's cool. Um, the Cubs won the World Series this week. And it was amazing to watch as, what was the number? Something like 5 million fans gathered to celebrate this win for this city and this team. And it was amazing to see these men go, these grown men run out to the middle of this field when they won and see them just jump around and flail around. Why? Well, one, they had accomplished something that no one, and their lifetime had accomplished, so number one. But, but if you've ever played sports for a moment, I mean, just, just for a moment, like if you had one season, whether you admit it or not, there was that part of you, wasn't there, that thought, you know what, maybe I could make a difference. Maybe I could play on that team that wins something great. Maybe I could be the guy that steps into the batter's box, bottom of the ninth, Bases loaded, down by three, full count, two outs. And I'm the guy that hits the home run. I mean, we've all had that moment. And then, and then, as it was, we got this incredible visualization. I want you guys to watch this video. Now, what's going on in that video is this. That little guy, yeah, he's, he's, he's out there playing the sport that he loves. And he, he's out there just enjoying this this dirt and the smell. You know, there's just something about being out on a, on a ball field. It just has a smell. But more than anything, what that, what that picture showed us is the hunger for something significant. That little eight, nine-year-old boy is dropping himself into those very scenarios where all of those times of lonely batting practice and all of those times of pretending to steal second base had now paid off and he's made it to the big leagues. And now, all of a sudden, that little young boy, he matters. He's important. He's got a role to play. He, he's significant now in his life. And I wonder how many of us have had that same, it may not be on a ball field, but you've had that, that same conversation with yourself about wanting to grow up and go to that school and, and try to get that degree from that school so then you could go on and move to that city and you could become a practicing partner at this particular law firm or work in this particular hospital, whatever occupation it may be that you had a desire to do something significant in your life and that you wanted to matter because of what you had done. Some of us have tried and, and we've, we've reached 
some new ladders, haven't we? We've had a sense of significance in our own life, and, and others of us have tried and, and failed. We've, we've been like that little guy out there who's th- thrown the ball up and swung and missed. And others of you, because of your past, it could have been a, a, a parent, it could have been a, a relationship in high school or college, it could have been a, a really mean first boss that you had. Others of us have just been too afraid to try anything significant. Whether you're a Christ follower or you're just seeking out the ways of God and wondering what that means, you've just been too afraid to take any risk and just you'd rather just play it safe. And oftentimes what can happen in our lives is we get the equation wrong. What we want to say is our significance comes from what we do Instead of our significance comes from who we are, mainly and namely who we are in Christ. And so today I want to I teach us, and, and I promise you, some of you guys are Bible scholars. You've been at this thing a long time. And, and, and you'll be tempted in this message to just hit the snooze button. Because I am not going to tell you probably anything you didn't know today already when you walked in. But what the truth that I'm going to unpack today has done for my own life is it has sort of stirred me up a little bit. So if you find yourself in that category of someone who's been at this a long time and you know what God's word says, we're singing those songs and you're like, oh yeah, that comes from this passage of scripture and that's there. And yeah, after this, I'm going to go study my King James Bible in the original Greek and you know, like that's you. What I want to challenge you to do today is not hit the snooze button and check out. Track with me. Because I think today's message will will ignite your heart. Maybe it'll rekindle something down inside of you. And today, if if you're seeking, if you're looking for answers, if you have questions about God, today's message might be one of the most significant messages you've ever heard. And it's not because it's coming from me. Because the message that I'm going to teach today gives us our root, our identity of who we are. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 139. That's where we're going to spend. We're going to jump just a little bit today. We're going to move around. But we're going to start in Psalm 139. If you don't have a, a physical copy of a Bible and you've got a, a smartphone or an iPad you want to track along in the Uversion app, you can do that with me. You can download it in the App Store. Maybe you've already got it. And if you don't have any of the above and you're like, man, I didn't bring a phone, I didn't bring a Bible, I didn't know what I was supposed to do today, all of the scripture we're going to read today is going to be up on the screen. So you're going to be, you're going to be good to go, I promise. Psalm 139, starting in verse 13 and 14, and as I studied this this week, it was amazing how many different scholars said that this passage of scripture, really all of Psalm 139, might be one of the most significant psalms that we have. Because again, it goes back to our identity in Christ, it goes back to our position and who we are with God. So the first thing I want to tell you today, and this is so simple, but it is so powerful. The first thing I want to tell you today is this, is you matter to God. You matter to God. And the reason why you matter to God is this, is because God created you. That's where we're going to pick up in Psalm 139 today. It says this, For you formed my inward parts. 
You knitted me together in my mother's womb. The King James, I'm not picking on the King James Version today. I just kind of came out a minute ago. But the King James says this, for thou hast possessed my reins. It literally translates out in the Hebrew, formed my inward parts, translates out as kidneys. Because the kidneys in, in a Jewish context were considered the innermost part of the body. And so what the, the writer, the psalmist David here is saying is, God, you formed the, the very insides of my body. The, the furthest thing inside, God, you were at that work. You formed my inward. The word knitted there translates together as, it translates as woven. Anybody in here knit or weave or sew? Anybody do any of that kind of stuff? Anybody knit or weave? Hands up. I need some scarves made. So thank you for volunteering. I'm just kidding. You know this, that if you take this piece of yarn and you take this piece of yarn and you go at trying to knit something, what, that is very meticulous work, is it not? And, and one wrong, I don't know what it's called, but one wrong, I don't know, whatever that is called that you do can jeopardize the whole thing. And so this picture that we have is that, that God knitted us. He wove us together. Walter Zorn, a, a, a really well-known scholar, says this. God's omnipotence, that means his, very, his, his unlimited or very great power, is presented in terms of his creative ability. Here we get a picture of God's creativity. The creation of a human, human being is one of the most amazing divine acts in the universe, in the dark place of a mother's womb, God knits a person, a personality together. God has done that inside of you. God has done that inside of your body, inside of your life. God has knitted you together. And then we get this incredible response from the writer. He says this in verse 14, I praise you. He, he begins to think about the fact that God has knitted him together. That God is at the center of the creation of, his, of who he is. And, and the psalmist says this, I praise you. There's a response from the psalmist. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And if you check the original languages, that passage of scripture can literally be translated out. I am fearfully and awesomely made. God has made you, knitted you together. If you think about the human body, is it not amazing to think about how intricate our body is? There's going to be a few uh, facts that are come up, going to come up on the screen. The first one is this, is that nerve impulses travel to and from the brain. This is amazing. At 250 miles an hour, some of you probably need to check your speedometer because you're going a little slower than 250, but still, it's quick regardless. That is faster than a Formula One race car. An adult, this is mind-bending. An adult is made up of seven octillion atoms. Anybody ever seen that many number zeros before? Seven octillion atoms. For perspective, there's only a measly 300 billion stars in our galaxy. And that is happening inside of your body. Check this out. 
in 30 minutes, the human body gives off enough heat to bring a gallon of water to boil. Look at your neighbor and say, you're hot. If the human brain were a computer, this is amazing. If the human brain were a computer, it could perform 38,000 trillion operations per second. The world's most powerful supercomputer, the blue gene, blue gene, isn't that cute? Can only manage 0.002% of that. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Last one is this. Your body produces 25 million new cells every second. Every 13 seconds you produce more cells than there are people in the United States. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully Made. And if any of you have a, a streak of creativity, whether it's modge-podging your newest Thanksgiving thing that you're going to put out, or maybe you love to kind of work with your hands and you're in the garden all the time and you love to create things and make stuff grow, when you create something, it matters to you. Ask any of your kids that you will pick up in preschool today. When they come to you with that picture that's colored all outside the lines, try to throw it away when you get home. If they catch you doing it, what will they do? They'll fall apart. Why? Because it's something that they have created and it matters to them. And you matter to God because he created you. To illustrate this uh, Todd Prater, our student guy, is uh, uh, handy. So he helped build all of this up here. He helped build the wall out there that uh, uh, Adrian Manson is going to paint with our logo. Uh, he helped build the coffee bar. I mean, he is, he is all into it. He loves it. And Todd sent me this picture yesterday. And, and this is his new desk that he just decided to build for the office. He just decided to build him a desk. I went and just bought what I mean, I inherited whatever was left over in the office, but he decides he wants to build something. And he sent progressive pictures during the day. And go to the next one there. Now he's putting pallet wood over the top of it and laying it in all nice and neat. And he's going to sand it down, I bet, pretty soon. Here's the last picture that he sent me. His Etsy uh, shop address will come up, and you guys can start submitting your orders here in just a little bit. I'm just kidding. He, he said he's not going to take orders. Money talks though, right, Todd? (laughs) But here's what I know about Todd. That desk matters to him. Why? Because he's got a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that's gone into it. And sure, there's going to be a few little spots on there that in a few months he might step back and go, man, I wish I'd have taken a little bit more time with that. I I wish I would have, you know, sanded that part down maybe a little bit more. But Todd created that desk And that desk matters to him. And guess what? The desk that's in my office, I like my desk. But the desk that's in my office is just functional. Why? Because I didn't buy it. I didn't create it. It was just in my office when I walked in for the first time. God has created you. 
And when you create something, it matters. And you matter to God because he has created you. You matter so much that he couldn't stand to be separated from you. He couldn't stand to be separated from humanity because of the sin that that entered into the world through Adam, our first parents. And so God loves you and you matter so much to him that he had to create a way back. He had to create a bridge. And so he asked Jesus, his son, who mattered so much to him, to die on your behalf. And so the second thing I want you to write down is this. You matter to God because Jesus died for you. You matter to God because Jesus died for you. Oh, he died for all the sins of mankind and all of humanity, but but personalize that. He died for your sins, the sins that you committed this morning when you yelled at your kids because they wouldn't get out of bed. I'm holding the mirror up to myself. The sins you committed over the last week, the sins that you will commit this afternoon and tomorrow and beyond. He died for you. These are Jesus' words here. This is Jesus speaking, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. How did he do that? To give his life as a ransom for many. Paul writes in Romans 5.10, he says, For if while we were enemies, we, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall be saved by his life. Jesus again in John 10 says this, I am the good shepherd. Again, another picture of that Luke 15 passage that I love so much. I am the good shepherd. The shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then 1 John 3.16, this is the same John that wrote John 3.16. And you'll see the similarities here says this, we know love by this. The way that we know love. The way that love is tangible for us, the way that we've seen love expressed, we know love by this, that he laid his life down for us. You matter to God because Jesus died for you. You may be a skeptic and you go, well, what about what about the evidence? I don't, I don't really believe in Jesus. I'm skeptical about this whole death, burial, and resurrection thing. And I want to say to you, first off, I am so glad that you're here. What we believe, our, our mission statement, the core of who we are as a church is we say that we accept people where they are. And then we help them transform into authentic followers of Jesus Christ. So if you're a skeptic and you don't like this whole church thing and this whole church thing kind of weirds you out a little bit and you've got so many questions more than you have answers, I want to say I am glad that you are here and you are welcome here as long and as often as you want to be here. Thank you for being here today. But I want to, I want to put a few statements up on the screen just to remind us, just to, 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 to dial back just a little bit and look at the historical validity, the evidence that Jesus laid his life down for us. This is amazing. First thing is this, is that Jesus predicted his own death. We see this time and time again all through scripture. 
The other thing is this, is that Jesus could have never survived crucifixion. Why? Well, because the Romans were very careful to eliminate that possibility. The Roman law had a death penalty on anyone who botched an execution. So these Roman soldiers who were charged with with crucifying Jesus had a death penalty on them. They had a death sentence on them if they messed it up. So they had to get this one right. Especially with all the, 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 the fervor and the commotion that was going on around Jesus at that time. They had to get this one right. We also see historically verified and also in the Bible, we see hundreds of eyewitnesses to the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. And then perhaps maybe the most famous uh, Jewish historian of all, Josephus, who was not a believer, but he wrote Jewish historical writings for the Roman Empire. He also wrote about Jesus Christ, including his widely testified life after death and the antiquities of the Jews. And he said this. This is amazing. I want to read this. At the time, there was a wise man who was called Jesus. And his conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. And many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. And those who had become his disciples, and don't miss this, did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets would have recounted wonders. And this comes from a a Jewish historian who didn't believe in Jesus, but saw the eyewitness accounts, saw what was going on around Jesus and said, perhaps, perhaps he was the Messiah. Another professor says that this is probably the most important reference to Jesus outside the New Testament. This is reporting on Emperor Nero's decision to blame the Christians for the fire that destroyed Rome. Nero wanted to start all over again. So he had to come up with a plan, and his only viable plan was to burn the whole city down and then blame it on the Christians so maybe it would also stamp out Christianity. And we get this historian, this writer, Tatius, he wrote this. Nero fastened the guilt on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, or Christ, from whom the name had its origin, suffered suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of Pontius Pilate and a most mischievous superstition, that was the death, burial, and the resurrection, thus checked, I love this, thus checked for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of evil, but even in Rome. In other words, it could not be stopped. It was maybe stamped out for just a moment. Maybe there was a glimmer of hope that was lost when Jesus went into the tomb. But then when he rose again, it spread. And here we have a historian writing for Rome. Just a few years after the death of Jesus, Recounting the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even in the 19th century, world-renowned historian and professor at the distinguished Oxford University, Dr. Thomas Arnold, wrote publicly 
I know of no one fact, this is amazing, I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what I want to say to you today is that you matter to God because God created you. But then you matter to God because Jesus died for you. And I want to say this. You don't give your life for something or someone that doesn't matter to you. Jesus would not have given his life over this brutal crucifixion. That were we to talk about what flogging and whipping really looked like, it would horrify you. To, to imagine the pain that Jesus would have went through on that cross as, as those spikes, those huge nails were driven into his hands and his feet. And how he gasped for air. And every time he, he lifted up just a little bit on that cross to grab some breath, his back that was ripped open continued to bleed out. You don't give your life for something that doesn't matter to you. And Jesus gave his life for you. And Jesus gave his life for me on that cross. Many people would live for a lie, but few people would be willing to die for one. And you matter to Jesus because he died for you.